Chapter Two, Part One, of Totem in Taboo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Totem and Taboo by Sigmund Freud. Chapter Two: Taboo and the Ambivalence of Emotions. Part One, Section One. Taboo is a Polynesian word, the translation of which provides difficulties for us, because we no longer possess the idea which it connotes. It was still current with the ancient Romans. Their word, sacer, was the same as the taboo of the Polynesians. The egos of the Greeks and the kodesh of the Hebrews must also have signified the same thing, which the Polynesians expressed through their word taboo, and what many races in America, Africa, Madagascar, Northern and Central Asia expressed through analogous designations for us the meaning of taboo branches off into two opposite directions on the one hand it means to us sacred consecrated but on the other hand it means uncanny dangerous forbidden and unclean the opposite of taboo is designated in polynesian by the word noah this signifies something ordinary and generally accessible thus something like the concept of reserve inheres in taboo taboo expresses itself essentially in prohibitions and restrictions our combinations of holy dread would often express the meaning of taboo the taboo restrictions are different from religious or moral prohibitions they are not traced to a commandment of a god but really they themselves impose their own prohibitions they are differentiated from moral prohibitions by feeling to be included in a system which declares abstinences in general to be necessary and gives reasons for this necessity the taboo prohibitions lack all justification and are of unknown origin though incomprehensible to us they are taken as a matter of course by those who are under their dominance Wundt calls taboo the oldest unwritten code of law of humanity. It is generally assumed that taboo is older than the gods and goes back to the pre-religious age. As we are in need of an impartial presentation of the subject of taboo before subjecting it to psychoanalytic consideration, I shall now cite an excerpt from the article Taboo in the Encyclopedia Britannica, written by the anthropologist Northcote W. Thomas. Footnote, 11th edition, this article also gives the most important references. End footnote. Quote, Properly speaking, taboo includes only a. the sacred or unclean character of persons or things, b. the kind of prohibition which results from this character, and c. the sanctity or uncleanliness which results from a violation of the prohibition. The converse of taboo in Polynesia is noah, and allied forms which mean general or common. Various classes of taboo in the wider sense may be distinguished. 1. Natural or direct, the result of mana, mysterious power, inherent in a person or thing. 2. Communicated or indirect, equally the result of mana, but a. Acquired or b. Imposed by a priest, chief, or other person. 3. Intermediate, where both factors are present, as in the appropriation of a wife to her husband. The term taboo is also applied to ritual prohibitions of a different nature, but its use in these senses is better avoided. It might be argued that the term should be extended to embrace cases in which the sanction of the prohibition is the creation of a god or spirit, that is, to religious interdictions as distinguished from magical. But there is neither automatic action nor contagion in such a case, and a better term for it is religious interdiction. The objects of taboo are many. 
one direct taboos aim at a protection of important persons chiefs priests etc and things against harm b safeguarding of the weak women children and common people generally from the powerful mana magical influence of chiefs and priests c providing against the dangers incurred by handling or coming in contact with corpses by eating certain food etc d guarding the chief acts of life births initiation marriage and sexual functions against interference e securing human beings against the wrath or power of gods and spirits footnote this application of the taboo can be omitted as not originally belonging in this connection in footnote f securing unborn infants and young children who stand in a specially sympathetic relation with their parents from the consequences of certain actions and more especially from the communication of qualities supposed to be derived from certain foods two taboos are imposed in order to secure against thieves the property of an individual his fields tools etc other parts of the article may be summarized as follows originally the punishment for the violation of a taboo was probably left to an inner automatic arrangement the violated taboo avenged itself wherever the taboo was related to ideas of gods and demons an automatic punishment was expected from the power of the godhead in other cases probably as the result of a further development of the idea society took over the punishment of the offender whose action has endangered his companions thus man's first systems of punishment are also connected with taboo Quote, the violation of taboo makes the offender himself taboo Unquote the author goes on to say that certain dangers resulting from the violation of a taboo may be exercised through acts of penance and ceremonies of purification a peculiar power inherent in persons and ghosts which can be transmitted from them to inanimate objects is regarded as the source of the taboo this part of the article reads as follows quote, persons or things which are regarded as taboo may be compared to objects charged with electricity they are the seat of tremendous power which is transmittable by contact and may be liberated with destructive effect if the organisms which provoke its discharge are too weak to resist it the result of a violation of taboo depends partly on the strength of the magical influence inherent in the taboo object or person partly on the strength of the opposing mana of the violator of the taboo thus kings and chiefs are possessed of great power and it is death for their subjects to address them directly but a minister or other person of greater mana than common can approach them unharmed and can in turn be approached by their inferiors without risk so too indirect taboos depend for their strength on the mana of him who opposes them if it is a chief or priest they are more powerful than those imposed by a common person the fact that a taboo is transmissible has surely given rise to the effort of removing it through expiatory ceremonies the author states that there are permanent and temporary taboos the former comprise priests and chiefs as well as the dead and everything that has belonged to them temporary taboos attach themselves to certain conditions such as menstruation and childbed the status of the warrior before and after the expedition the activities of fishing and of the chase and similar activities 
a general taboo may also be imposed upon a large district like an ecclesiastical interdict and may then last for years if i judge my readers impressions correctly i dare say that after hearing all that was said about taboo they are far from knowing what to understand by it and where to store it in their minds this is surely due to the insufficient information i have given and to the omission of all discussions concerning the relation of taboo to superstition to belief in the soul and to religion on the other hand i fear that a more detailed description of what is known about taboo would be still more confusing i can therefore assure the reader that the state of affairs is really far from clear we may say however that we deal with a series of restrictions which these primitive races impose upon themselves this and that is forbidden without any apparent reason nor does it occur to them to question this matter for they subject themselves to these restrictions as a matter of course and are convinced that any transgression will be punished automatically in the most severe manner there are reliable reports that innocent transgressions of such prohibitions have actually been punished automatically for instance the innocent offender who had eaten from a forbidden animal became deeply depressed expected his death and then actually died the prohibitions mostly concern matters which are capable of enjoyment such as freedom of movement and unrestrained intercourse in some cases they appear very ingenious evidently representing abstinences and renunciations in other cases their content is quite incomprehensible they seem to concern themselves with trifles and give the impression of ceremonials something like a theory seems to underlie all these prohibitions it seems as if these prohibitions are necessary because some persons and objects possess a dangerous power which is transmitted by contact with the object so charged almost like a contagion the quantity of this dangerous property is also taken into consideration some persons or things have more of it than others and the danger is precisely in accordance with the charge the most peculiar part of it is that any one who has violated such a prohibition assumes the nature of the forbidden object as if he had absorbed the whole dangerous charge this power is inherent in all persons who are more or less prominent such as kings priests and the newly born in all exceptional physical states such as menstruation puberty and birth in everything sinister like illness and death and in everything connected with these conditions by virtue of contagion or dissemination however the term taboo includes all persons localities objects and temporary conditions which are carriers or sources of this mysterious attribute the prohibition derived from this attribute is also designated as taboo and lastly taboo in the literal sense includes everything that is sacred above the ordinary and at the same time dangerous and clean and mysterious both this word and the system corresponding to it express a fragment of psychic life which really is not comprehensible to us and indeed it would seem that no understanding of it could be possible without entering into the study of the belief in spirits and demons which is so characteristic of these low grades of culture now why should we take interest at all in the riddle of taboo not only i think because every psychological problem is well worth the effort of investigation for its own sake but for other reasons as well 
it may be surmised that the taboo of polynesian savages is after all not so remote from us as we were at first inclined to believe the moral and customary prohibitions which we ourselves obey may have some essential relation to this primitive taboo the explanation of which may in the end throw light upon the dark origin of our own categorical imperative we are therefore inclined to listen with keen expectations when an investigator like w Wundt gives his interpretation of, of taboo especially as he promises to quote, go back to the very roots of the taboo concepts Wundt states that the idea of taboo includes all customs which express dread of particular objects connected with cultic ideas or of actions having reference to them on another occasion he says quote, in accordance with the general sense of the word we understand by taboo, every prohibition laid down in customs or manners or in expressly formulated laws, not to touch an object or to take it for one's own use, or to make use of certain prescribed words. End quote. Accordingly, there would not be a single race or stage of culture which had escaped the injurious effects of taboo. Wundt then shows why he finds it more practical to study the nature of taboo in the primitive states of Australian savages rather than in the higher culture of the Polynesian races. In the case of the Australians, he divides taboo prohibitions into three classes according as they concern animals, persons, or other objects. The animal taboo, which consists essentially of the taboo against killing and eating, forms the nucleus of totemism. The taboo of the second class, which has human beings for its object, is of an essentially different nature. To begin with, it is restricted to conditions which bring about an unusual situation in life for the person tabooed. Thus, young men at the feast of initiation, women during menstruation and immediately after delivery, newly born children, the diseased, and especially the dead, are all taboo. The constantly used property of any person, such as his clothes, tools, and weapons, is permanently taboo for everybody else. In Australia, the new name which a youth receives at his initiation into manhood becomes part of his own personal property. It is taboo and must be kept secret. The taboos of the third class, which apply to trees, plants, houses, and localities, are more variable and seem only to follow the rule that anything which for any reason arouses dread or is mysterious becomes subject to taboo. Wundt himself has to acknowledge that the changes which taboo undergoes in the richer culture of the Polynesians and in the Malayan archipelago are not very profound. The greater social differentiation of these races manifests itself in the fact that chiefs, kings, and priests exercise an especially effective taboo and are themselves exposed to the strongest taboo compulsion. The real sources of taboo lie deeper than in the interests of the privileged classes. Quote, they begin where the most primitive and at the same time the most enduring human impulses have their origin, namely in the fear of the effect of demonic powers. End quote. New quote. The taboo, which originally was nothing more than the objectified fear of the demonic power thought to be concealed in the tabooed object, forbids the irritation of this power and demands the placation of the demon whenever the taboo has been knowingly or unknowingly violated. The taboo then gradually became an autonomous power which has detached itself from demonism. It becomes the compulsion of custom and tradition and finally of the law. Quote, 
but the commandment concealed behind taboo prohibitions which differ materially according to place and time have originally the meaning beware of the wrath of the demons wundt therefore teaches that taboo is the expression and evolution of the belief of primitive races in demonic powers and that later taboo has disassociated itself from this origin and has remained at power simply because it was one by virtue of a kind of a psychic persistence and in this manner it became the root of our customs and laws as little as one can object to the first part of this statement i feel however that i am only voicing the impression of many of my readers if i call one's explanation disappointing one's explanation is far from going back to the sources of taboo concepts or to their deepest roots for neither fear nor demons can be accepted in psychology as finalities defying any further deduction it would be different if demons really existed but we know that like gods they are only the product of the psychic powers of man they have been created from and out of something wundt also expresses a number of important though not altogether clear opinions about the double meaning of taboo according to him the division between sacred and unclean does not yet exist in the first primitive stages of taboo for this reason these conceptions entirely lack the significance which they could only acquire later on when they came to be contrasted the animal person or place on which there is a taboo is demonic that is not sacred and therefore not yet in the later sense unclean the expression taboo is particularly suitable for this undifferentiated and intermediate meaning of the demonic in the sense of something which may not be touched since it emphasizes a characteristic which finally adheres both to what is sacred and to the unclean namely the dread of contact but the fact that this important characteristic is permanently held in common points to the existence of an original agreement here between these two spheres which gave way to a differentiation only as the result of further conditions through which both finally developed into opposites the belief associated with the original taboo according to which a demonic power concealed in the object avenges the touching of it or its forbidden use by bewitching the offender was still an entirely objectified fear this had not yet separated into the two forms which it assumed at a more developed stage namely awe and aversion how did this separation come about according to wundt this was done through the transference of taboo prohibition from the sphere of demons to that of theistic conceptions the antithesis of sacred and unclean coincides with the succession of two mythological stages the first of which did not entirely disappear when the second was reached but continued in a state of greatly lowered esteem which gradually turned into contempt it is a general law in mythology that a preceding stage just because it has been overcome and pushed back by a higher stage maintains itself next to it in a debased form so that the objects of its veneration become objects of its aversion once further elucidations refer to the relation of taboo to lustration and sacrifice section two he who approaches the problem of taboo from the field of psychoanalysis which is concerned with the study of the unconscious part of the individual's psychic life needs but a moment's reflection to realize that these phenomena are by no means foreign to him 
he knows people who have individually created such taboo prohibitions for themselves which they follow as strictly as savages observe the taboos common to their tribe or society if he were not accustomed to call these individuals compulsive neurotics he would find the term taboo disease quite appropriate for their malady psychoanalytic investigation has taught him the clinical etiology and the essential part of the psychological mechanism of this compulsion disease so that he cannot resist applying what he has learnt there to explain corresponding manifestations in folk psychology there is one warning to which we shall have to give heed in making this attempt the similarity between taboo and compulsion disease may be purely superficial holding good only for the manifestations of both without extending into their deeper characteristics nature loves to use identical forms in the most widely different biological connections as for instance for coral stems and plants and even for certain crystals or for the formation of certain chemical precipitates it would certainly be both premature and unprofitable to base conclusions relating to interrelationships upon the correspondence of merely mechanical conditions we shall bear this warning in mind without however giving up our intended comparison on account of the possibility of such confusions the first and most striking correspondence between the compulsion prohibitions of neurotics and taboo lies in the fact that the original of these prohibitions is just as unmotivated and enigmatic they have appeared at some time or other and must now be retained on account of an unconquerable anxiety an external threat of punishment is superfluous because an inner certainty a conscience exists that violation will be followed by unbearable disaster the very most the compulsion patients can tell us is the vague premonition that some person of their environment will suffer harm if they should violate the prohibition of what the harm is to consist is not known and this inadequate information is more likely to be obtained during the later discussions of the expiatory and defensive actions than when the prohibitions themselves are being discussed as in the case of taboo the nucleus of the neurotic prohibition is the act of touching whence we derive the name touching phobia or délire de toucher the prohibition extends not only to direct contact with the body but also to the figurative use of the phrase as to come into contact or be in touch with someone or something anything that leads the thoughts to what is prohibited and thus calls forth mental contact is just as much prohibited as immediate bodily contact this same extension is also found in taboo some prohibitions are easily understood from their purpose but others strike us as incomprehensible foolish and senseless we designate such commands as ceremonials and we find that taboo customs show the same variations obsessive prohibitions possess an extraordinary capacity for displacement they make use of almost any form of connection to extend from one object to another and then in turn make this new object impossible as one of my patients aptly puts it this impossibility finally lays an embargo upon the whole world the compulsion neurotics act as if the impossible persons and things were the carriers of a dangerous contagion which is ready to displace itself through contact to all neighboring things we have already emphasized the same characteristics of contagion and transference in the description of taboo prohibitions 
we also know that anyone who has violated a taboo by touching something which is taboo becomes taboo himself and no one may come into contact with him i shall put side by side two examples of transference or to use a better term displacement one from the life of the maori and the other from my observation of a woman suffering from a compulsion neurosis Quote, for a similar reason a maori chief would not blow on a fire with his mouth for his sacred breath would communicate its sanctity to the fire which would pass it on to the meat in the pot which would pass it on to the man who ate the meat which was in the pot which stood on the fire which was breathed on by the chief so that the eater infected by the chief's breath conveyed through these intermediaries would surely die End quote. from fraser the golden bough my patient demanded that a utensil which her husband had purchased and brought home should be removed lest it make the place where she lives impossible for she has heard that this object was bought in a store which is situated let us say in stag street but as the word stag is the name of a friend now in a distant city whom she has known in her youth under her maiden name and whom she now finds impossible that is taboo the object bought in vienna is just as taboo as this friend with whom she does not want to come in contact compulsion prohibitions like taboo prohibitions entail the most extraordinary renunciations and restrictions of life but a part of these can be removed by carrying out certain acts which now also must be done because they have acquired a compulsive character obsessive acts there is no doubt that these acts are in the nature of penances expiations defense reactions and purifications the most common of these obsessive acts is washing with water washing obsession a part of the taboo prohibitions can also be replaced in this way that is to say their violation can be made good through such a ceremonial and here too lustration through water is the preferred way let us now summarize the points in which the correspondence between taboo customs and symptoms of compulsion neurosis are most clearly manifested one in the lack of motivation of the commandments two in their enforcement through an inner need three in their capacity of displacement and in the danger of contagion from what is prohibited four and in the causation of ceremonial actions and commandments which emanate from the forbidden however psychoanalysis has made us familiar with the clinical history as well as the psychic mechanism of compulsion neurosis thus the history of a typical case of touching phobia reads as follows in the very beginning during the early period of childhood the person manifested a strong pleasure in touching himself the object of which was much more specialized than one would be inclined to expect presently the carrying out of this very pleasurable act of touching was opposed by a prohibition from without footnote both the pleasure and the prohibition referred to touching one's own genitals and footnote the prohibition was accepted because it was supported by strong inner forces footnote the relation to beloved persons who imposed the prohibition and footnote it proved to be stronger than the impulse which wanted to manifest itself through this act of touching but due to the primitive psychic constitution of the child this prohibition did not succeed in abolishing the impulse its only success lay in repressing the impulse pleasure of touching and banishing it into the unconscious both the prohibition and the impulse remained the impulse because it had only been repressed and not abolished the prohibition because if it had ceased the impulse would have broken through into consciousness and would have been carried out 
an unsolved situation a psychic fixation had thus been created and now everything else emanated from the continued conflict between prohibition and impulse the main characteristic of the psychic constellation which has thus undergone fixation lies in what one might call the ambivalent behavior footnote to use an excellent term coined by bluller and footnote ambivalent behavior of the individual to the object or rather to an action regarding it the individual constantly wants to carry out this action the act of touching he sees in it the highest pleasure but he may not carry it out and he even abominates it the opposition between these two streams cannot be easily adjusted because there is no other way to express it they are so localized in the psychic life that they cannot meet the prohibition becomes fully conscious while the surviving pleasure of touching remains unconscious the person knowing nothing about it if this psychological factor did not exist the ambivalence could neither maintain itself so long nor lead to such subsequent manifestations in the clinical history of the case we have emphasized the appearance of the prohibition in early childhood as the determining factor but for the further elaboration of the neurosis this role is played by the repression which appears at this age on account of the repression which has taken place which is connected with forgetting amnesia the motivation of the prohibition that has become conscious remains unknown and all attempts to unravel it intellectually must fail as the point of attack cannot be found the prohibition owes its strength its compulsive character to its association with its unknown counterpart the hidden and unabated pleasure that is to say to an inner need in which conscious insight is lacking the transferability and reproductive power of the prohibition reflect a process which harmonizes with the unconscious pleasure and is very much facilitated through the psychological determinants of the unconscious the pleasure of the impulse constantly undergoes displacement in order to escape the blocking which it encounters and seeks to acquire surrogates for the forbidden in the form of substitutive objects and actions for the same reason the prohibition also wanders and spreads to the new aims of the prescribed impulse every new advance of the repressed libido is answered by the prohibition with a new severity the mutual inhibition of these two contending forces creates a need for discharge and for lessening the existing tension in which we may recognize the motivation for the compulsive acts in the neurosis there are distinctly acts of compromise which on the one hand may be regarded as proofs of remorse and efforts to expiate and similar actions but on the other hand they are at the same time substitutive actions which recompense the impulse for what has been forbidden it is a law of neurotic diseases that these obsessive acts serve the impulse more and more and come nearer and nearer to the original forbidden act we may now make the attempt to study taboo as if it were of the same nature as the compulsive prohibitions of our patients it must naturally be clearly understood that many of the taboo prohibitions which we shall study are already secondary displaced and distorted so that we shall have to be satisfied if we can shed some light upon the earliest and most important taboo prohibitions we must also remember that the differences in the situation of the savage and of the neurotic may be important enough to exclude complete correspondence and prevent a point-by-point -point transfer from one to the other such as would be possible if we were dealing with exact copies 
first of all it must be said that it is useless to question savages as to the real motivation of their prohibitions or as to the genesis of taboo according to our assumption they must be incapable of telling us anything about it since this motivation is unconscious to them but following the model of the compulsive prohibition we shall construct the history of a taboo as follows taboos are very ancient prohibitions which at one time were forced upon a generation of primitive people from without that is they probably were forcibly impressed upon them by an earlier generation these prohibitions concern actions for which there existed a strong desire the prohibitions maintained themselves from generation to generation perhaps only as the result of a tradition set up by paternal and social authority but in later generations they have perhaps already become organized as a piece of inherited psychic property whether they are such innate ideas or whether these have brought about the fixation of the taboo by themselves or by cooperating with education no one could decide in the particular case in question the persistence of taboo teaches however one thing namely that the original pleasure to do the forbidden still continues among the taboo races they therefore assume an ambivalent attitude toward their taboo prohibitions if they are unconscious they would like nothing better than to transgress them but they are also afraid to do it they are afraid just because they would like to transgress and the fear is stronger than the pleasure but in every individual of the race the desire for it is unconscious just as in the neurotic the oldest and most important taboo prohibitions are the two basic laws of totemism namely not to kill the totem animal and to avoid sexual intercourse with totem companions of the other sex it would therefore seem that these must have been the oldest and strongest desires of mankind we cannot understand this and therefore we cannot use these examples to test our assumptions as long as the meaning and the origin of the totemic system is so wholly unknown to us but the very wording of these taboos and the fact that they occur together will remind any one who knows the results of the psychoanalytic investigation of individuals of something quite definite which psychoanalysts call the central point of the infantile wish life and the nucleus of the later neurosis all other varieties of taboo phenomena which have led to the attempted classifications noted above become unified if we sum them up in the following sentence the basis of taboo is a forbidden action for which there exists a strong inclination in the unconscious we know without understanding it that whoever does what is prohibited and violates the taboo becomes himself taboo but how can we connect this fact with the other namely that the taboo adheres not only to persons who have done what is prohibited but also to persons who are in exceptional circumstances to these circumstances themselves and to impersonal things what can this dangerous attribute be which always remains the same under all these different conditions only one thing namely the propensity to arouse the ambivalence of man and to tempt him to violate the prohibition an individual who has violated a taboo becomes himself taboo because he has the dangerous property of tempting others to follow his example he arouses envy why should he be allowed to do what is prohibited to others he is therefore really contagious in so far as every example incites to imitation and therefore he himself must be avoided 
but a person may become permanently or temporarily taboo without having violated any taboos for the simple reason that he is in a condition which has the property of inciting the forbidden desires of others and of awakening the ambivalent conflict in them most of the exceptional positions and conditions have this character and possess this dangerous power the king or chieftain rouses envy of his prerogatives everybody would perhaps like to be king the dead the newly born and women when they are incapacitated all act as incitements on account of their peculiar helplessness while the individual who has just reached sexual maturity tempts through the promise of a new pleasure therefore all these persons and all their conditions are taboo for one must not yield to the temptations which they offer now too we understand why the forces inherent in the manna of various persons can neutralize one another so that the manna of one individual can partly cancel that of the other the taboo of a king is too strong for his subject because the social difference between them is too great but a minister for example can become the harmless mediator between them translated from the language of taboo into the language of normal psychology this means the subject who shrinks from the tremendous temptation which contact with the king creates for him can brook the intercourse of an official whom he does not have to envy so much and whose position perhaps seems attainable to him the minister on his part can moderate his envy of the king by taking into consideration the power that has been granted to him thus smaller differences in the magic power that lead to temptation are less to be feared than exceptionally big differences it is equally clear how the violation of certain taboo prohibitions becomes a social danger which must be punished or expiated by all the members of society lest it harm them all this danger really exists if we substitute the known impulses for the unconscious desires it consists in the possibility of imitation as a result of which society would soon be dissolved if the others did not punish the violation they would perforce become aware that they want to imitate the evil-doer though the secret meaning of a taboo prohibition cannot possibly be of so special a nature as in the case of a neurosis we must not be astonished to find that touching plays a similar role in taboo prohibition as in the delire de toucher to touch is the beginning of every act of possession of every attempt to make use of a person or thing we have interpreted the power of contagion which inheres in the taboo as the property of leading into temptation and of inciting to imitation this does not seem to be in accord with the fact that the contagiousness of the taboo is above all manifested in the transference to objects which thus themselves become carriers of the taboo this transferability of the taboo reflects what is found in the neurosis namely the constant tendency of the unconscious impulse to become displaced through associative channels upon new objects our attention is thus drawn to the fact that the dangerous magic power of the manna corresponds to two real faculties the capacity of reminding man of his forbidden wishes and the apparently more important one of tempting him to violate the prohibition in the service of these wishes both functions reunite into one however if we assume it to be in accord with a primitive psychic life that with the awakening of a memory of a forbidden action there should also be combined the awakening of the tendency to carry out the action memory and temptation then again coincide 
we must also admit that if the example of a person who has violated a prohibition leads another to the same action the disobedience of the prohibition has been transmitted like a contagion just as the taboo is transferred from a person to an object and from this to another if the violation of a taboo can be condoned through expiation or penance which means of course a renunciation of a possession or a liberty we have the proof that the observance of a taboo regulation was itself a renunciation of something really wished for the omission of one renunciation is cancelled through a renunciation at some other point this would lead us to conclude that as far as taboo ceremonials are concerned penance is more primitive than purification let us now summarize what understanding we have gained of taboo through its comparison with the compulsive prohibition of the neurotic taboo is very primitive prohibition imposed from without by an authority and directed against the strongest desires of man the desire to violate it continues in the unconscious persons who obey the taboo have an ambivalent feeling toward what is affected by the taboo the magic power attributed to the taboo goes back to its ability to lead man into temptation it behaves like a contagion because the example is contagious and because the prohibited desire becomes displacing in the unconscious upon something else the expiation for the violation of a taboo through a renunciation proves that a renunciation is at the basis of the observance of the taboo section three we may ask what we have gained from the comparison of taboo with compulsion neurosis and what value can be claimed for the interpretation we have given on the basis of this comparison our interpretation is evidently of no value unless it offers an advantage not to be had in any other way and unless it affords a better understanding of taboo than was otherwise possible we might claim that we have already given proof of its usefulness in what has been said above but we shall have to try to strengthen our proof by continuing the explanation of taboo prohibitions and customs in detail but we can avail ourselves of another method we can shape our investigation so as to ascertain whether a part of the assumptions which we have transferred from the neurosis to the taboo or the conclusions at which we have thereby arrived can be demonstrated directly in the phenomena of taboo we must decide however what we want to look for the assertion concerning the genesis of taboo namely that it was derived from a primitive prohibition which was once imposed from without cannot of course be proved we shall therefore seek to confirm those psychological conditions for taboo with which we have become acquainted in the case of compulsion neurosis how did we gain our knowledge of these psychological factors in the case of neurosis through the analytical study of the symptoms especially the compulsive actions the defense reactions and the obsessive commands these mechanisms gave every indication of having been derived from ambivalent impulses or tendencies they either represented simultaneously the wish and counter-wish or they served preponderantly one of the two contrary tendencies if we should now succeed in showing that ambivalence that is the sway of contrary tendencies exists also in the case of taboo regulations or if we should find among the taboo mechanisms some which like neurotic obsessions give simultaneous expression to both currents we would have established what is practically the most important point in the psychological correspondence between taboo and compulsion neurosis 
we have already mentioned that the two fundamental taboo prohibitions are inaccessible to our analysis because they belong to totemism another part of the taboo rules is of secondary origin and cannot be used for our purpose for among these races taboo has become the general form of law-giving and has helped to promote social tendencies which are certainly younger than taboo itself as for instance the taboos imposed by chiefs and priests to ensure their property and privileges but there still remains a large group of laws which we may undertake to investigate among these i lay stress on those taboos which are attached a to enemies b to chiefs and c to the dead the material for our investigation is taken from the excellent collection of j g fraser in his great work the golden bough end of chapter two part one read by mary schneider